Participate, engage, speak out, use your voice to be an effective advocate. The Voices in Advocacy podcast examines the diverse landscape of advocacy, exploring the ins and outs of building influence, driving change, and creating champion advocates. It's now time for the Voices in Advocacy podcast with your host, Roger Rickard. Hello and welcome to the Voices in Advocacy podcast. I'm Roger Rickard, president and founder of Voices in Advocacy, where we work with organizations to inspire, educate, engage, and activate your supporters by turning them into effective, influential advocates. And this is the podcast dedicated to the art of advocacy. This podcast is for the people that work and engage in advocacy efforts for their organizations, be they associations, trade organizations, and nonprofit cause groups. If you're one of the people that work to build grassroots advocacy and grow your community of advocates, you're in the right place. And finally, if you are ready and already an advocate, then this podcast is for you. Now, Let's get started. In today's episode, we meet Shane Downey. Shane is Vice President of Government Relations and Volunteer Relations at the Global Business Travel Association, which is the voice of the $1.4 trillion business travel industry. GBTA is the world's largest organization representing this sector and counts among its members more than 9,000 business travel professionals across six different continents. In addition to serving as association's lead lobbyist in Washington, DC, Shane oversees GBTA's volunteer engagement, including GBTA chapters, committees, and grassroots political activity. Shane has worked at GBTA since 2006, achieving many legislative successes and expanded the profile of GBTA on Capitol Hill and abroad. Prior to joining GBTA, Shane was a senior associate in a lobbying firm in Washington, DC. And before that, he has worked on several congressional campaigns. Shane received his BA in history from the Ohio State University. Proudly, Shane is a Desert Storm veteran having served in the United States Marine Corps Shane, thank you for your service and welcome to today's show. Hey, Roger, how are you doing? It's good to see you. I wish we were together, but you know, I'll take this in its place. <laughs> yes, I do wish we were face to face because isn't that a little bit about what travel's all about, our ability you know, to get together? That's exactly what business travel is all about is that face to face meeting. So, <laughs> you know. This will do for now, but not for long. That's right. We got to get back to that. Got to get back on the horse and ride it again. Shane, your background is impressive. With maybe one notable minor exception, and that is being a Buckeye. Mm -hmm. You see, I, I still bleed blue and white as a proud Penn State Nittany Lion. So I guess the first question a guy like me has to ask is, what made you choose the Ohio State University? Well, that's actually a pretty 
well, I think it's fascinating. So I had, I had, I had grown up in a small town in Ohio and my uh, mother remarried and my stepfather was a naval aviator. And so I moved away from Ohio when I was 13 and went and lived in Pensacola, Florida, then out in San Diego and back in Pensacola. So I could claim residency in three states, Florida, California, and Ohio. And I chose to go back to Ohio State because of football. <laughs> I see the helmet behind you. <laughs> I didn't know well, anything about their history program, anything. I went because I couldn't see myself anywhere else on Saturday's afternoon than Ohio State. I get it. The Horseshoe is one of the great football facilities in the Big Ten, uh, along with Beaver Stadium uh, in my neck of the woods. So why did, why did you choose a history major? So as I mentioned in the bio, I was in the Marine Corps, and my, my goal going into college was to um, go into officer candidate school. And because and, um, uh, uh, I was in, after high school, I went enlisted. And my goal was to then come out and be a commissioned officer in the Marine Corps. And so speaking with all of our, our friends in the Navy and the armed services, they just said, pick a, his, pick a major that you like and that you'll get the best grades in. And I, history had always been one of my favorite subjects. And when I got to Ohio State, it, they had really, I took a couple of classes and found some professors that I loved and just went with it. So I actually kind of have a history in uh, ancient Roman and yeah, kind of oh laid the groundwork for, as I think about it, really? getting into politics. Absolutely. <laughs> yes. The history of Rome and the political atmosphere that was around Rome. Yeah. You know, my wife went to UCLA and she majored in history and loved it. And, uh, you know, anytime you're in our home, you're going to see a stack of history books that were constantly reading. We both love history immensely. And I, uh, I think it's a great major. Um, and, it, and I think it did play in well for you. Now, you kind of touched on this a second ago, but I learned that you went to three different high schools. Now, tell me what this experience taught you and how does that maybe apply to the work you do today? Well, I guess the experience taught me to be flexible and, you know, to present yourself well, but to listen to people. And I think what I learned about myself, you kind of learn things about yourself as well, is that I have the ability to go in and listen to people and read people and understand, you know, how to, how to, how to make my way forward. And, and I, I think that was more of a, maybe you don't, maybe you don't, it doesn't teach you, but you learn about yourself, that you can be self-sustainable, that you, you're, you're adaptable, and that I'm really not afraid of any situations that come my way that I won't be able to kind of either talk my way out of it or some other way. Or talk your way into it. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Yeah, no, I, I, I think that that is really important. I think that having that kind of chameleon ability to adapt to the environment that you're in uh, really helps, particularly as you get thrown curves 
in you know lobbying and and in the industry and the ability to to not necessarily panic and and to react and I think that plays in uh, you know a little bit to your uh, to your military history as well. So as a, a military veteran, what did you learn uh, about the shared cause and achieving goals that, as a member of a much larger group? Well, I think it's all about the sacrifice for the greater good and, and understanding that um, and, and service for others, service to others. And, you know, there is the, the, the sense of, I know, I know for many, many people, lobbying is considered a dirty term um, but, you know, I've always looked at it as, um, I've worked for associations or causes that I believe in. And, and so to me, it's just been another way that I can help give back to the community and to the causes that I believe in and, and try and help advance those, those ideas for the, that I think are for the betterment of all. Yeah. And, and of course, for me, you're not, I'm not going to say that that's a dirty word at all, because I absolutely think that it's incumbent upon us to speak out and talk about the value points, how it affects us, uh, and why we should speak out and educate. Because I've often said that elected officials know about this much about everything. And we go in knowing this much Right. about one subject right. usually at a time. And I think that becomes uh, becomes very relevant. You mentioned your previous uh, professional career in government relations with other uh, varied uh, trade organizations before you went to GBTA. Has that helped you to better understand a more multitude of issues that elected officials kind of have to deal with on a daily basis? And how does that affect how you go in to advocate and lobby on behalf of your concerns? Well, I, I think um, the biggest thing, the biggest experience I had was actually working for a member of Congress as, as, the, as, a, as a staff person, but also on the campaign and, and understanding the immense amount of, of help and good that they can bring to their local community and how much need there is. This is a small congressional district in southeastern Ohio uh, that was going through a lot of difficulty and you know even you know be out I mean my favorite story is we were out all day all night campaigning and doing stuff and we stopped at a Denny's at like two in the morning and you still had you know all sorts of people as soon as they realized that congressman was sitting over there came over and like I need help you know with my social security getting some payments other thing and you just sit there and it, it makes you realize how how tough of a job it can be really um, yeah. you know to do it to do it right constituent services it's the, the key. heart it, it, it's it, the absolute heartbeat mm -hmm. of success in in that area and through those constituent services they kind of learn uh, and I'm talking about the elected official they learn more about the issues and and I want to I want you to touch upon, if you will, what GBTA's major priorities are going to be in the 177th Congress and just highlight a few of those if you can. 
Yeah, you know, our biggest thing when all this started back in March, when we closed our laptops and walked out of our offices and set up shop in a spare bedroom upstairs, you know, sitting down and even, gosh, you know, even right before that, I guess the last time I saw you out on, in yeah. Arizona, I was calling around other other travel groups, other industries saying, you know, a stimulus is going to come. What are you going to look for? What What do you think you need to help you get through? And it was the number one is like, how are we going to support the industry? You know, how can we, what can we do to help keep the travel ecosystem, you know, afloat? Because our, our membership, we're kind of a weird mixture in that we represent the entire travel industry, but we also, you know, our core members are travel buyers for corporations. So we need the travel ecosystem to be there. And so that was our our number one going in and it remains that, you know, as we, as we continue to go through this and until travel can really get back on its own feet, you know, we need to continue to support those efforts and continue to look for ways that, that we can help keep them, keep them going. Now, you know, as we, as we kind of transitioned beyond that, but we started a campaign called Ready Safe Travel. And, and along that is a lot of the education that we believe is necessary for our members to hear. What are the governments imposing? You know, what are the airlines? What are the hotels? What is the travel industry doing to keep clean? You know, to help. Yeah, what keep, are the safety concerns? Yeah, what yeah. are the safety issues that they're working on? Um, so that's a part of it. And then helping them understand, helping the travelers know, like, what do you need to do when you're traveling? Where should you travel? When you should travel? How should you travel? Because look, we all want travel to go. We all want travel to start again. The real goal is that the traveler that goes out comes back safe, home, and well to their family and friends. That's well, that's the goal. Yeah, and we know from our experience in as as people that travel a lot and, and have worked around the travel industry and the hospitality industry for you know quite a few years. The, the travel was the first that went down yeah. and the hardest hit and the longest hit and maybe the last that really recovers fully. And uh, people need to recognize that because that ecosystem is going to be the system that's going to help uh, the economic recovery of the entire country. Yeah. To that end, that's also a part of that message. Look, it's not just to our members and the travel industry is to the elected officials about the importance of business travel and travel to the economy, right. not just in the US, but the global impact. And you know, being able to talk to them and, and trying to talk about the need for risk mitigation as opposed to risk elimination. Right. Um, and and that's, that's, that's where we're at. And so to that end, I mean, there are no silver bullets in any of this, but, but we do believe that you know, testing protocols can can be a big part of of restarting travel and letting it go again. Um, you know the the quarantines that have been put into place. That's been a real problem for travel. It, it's it's and they're often not based on the science on the ground of what we're seeing. And so seeing you know using testing protocols as a way to help end the quarantines that are out there, giving an alternative as opposed to just complete lockdowns, which are just, just bad for everything. Um, you know, that's, that's an area that we're focused on. And the coordination, 
the coordination amongst the countries and the states and, and trying to deal with the difference, you know, that's such, you know, we polled our members really quite regularly. Um, actually started polling them in, in early February on, on the coronavirus. And, but the big one that stood out was it was the government policies that were the main impediment to travel. It's, and the inconsistencies the from one governmental jurisdiction to another, let alone country to country, yeah. state to state, city to city. If you have a corporation or a traveler that's already concerned about taking a trip, that's just one more barrier that's in the, in the way. And, and it's, it's, it's causing real negative um, impacts across, across the travel industry, but really across the entire economy. Yeah. I, I, I fully agree with that. And we've got to solve that issue for us to be able to move forward with that. You mentioned earlier, you know, about how you communicate that. How do you solicit input uh, from your grassroots membership uh, about those priorities and what's affecting them today in their lives? How do you then communicate that to uh, whether it's members of Congress or any other state city delegate? So we actually did it a couple ways. Um, you know, we did as a part of the Ready Safe Travel, we launched a 12 week webinar series that went five days a week. Uh, pick a subject, you know, travel or like air travel one day or risk or such. And we did, um, uh, you know, 60 plus webinar sessions talking about that. And so for me, that helped us that helped us as staff and, and to understand the issues and what our membership were doing to try and fix and work with these problems and what issues they were facing. So then we were able to take the real world examples that were going on and deliver that to members of Congress on our, on our Zoom calls and on our, our you know, texting and phone calls and such. But, but you know, we also, um, you know, it's one thing, it's one thing for me to say that it's one thing for you to say that it's the people back home and it's the voters. Right. And, and, and so, you know, we also, you know, started implementing our grassroots campaign and kick that up and sending in letters and, and emails to, to, to their representatives and trying to tell, get them to tell their their personal stories. And, and look, you do that a couple of different ways. You know, you send out, you ask for them to do it, but you're also, I, this was, um, uh, you know, using our, we have different chapters and we have different committees throughout. And so using our contacts in those to reach out to their people in that particular chapter or that in that state uh, and to talk to their colleagues and friends and, and use that as a, a way to spread the word and, and get that message out there. And, and so, you know, that's how we kind of do it to wind up with tens of thousands of communications to our elected officials. Did you use video in those communications? So um, some of it, yes. Some of it was, you know, me, you know, kind of taping videos and, and using our, our video um, capabilities and studio to, talk and do interviews and use those interviews to send out. Um, I didn't do any strict call to action on videos. Use actually use more texting than, than videos um, just as a way to kind of get people to, to go a little bit about it. But it's an area that I think 
we've all seen the the capability and and the the promise of more videos and it's it sometimes it's resources <laughs> and so you know looking at that as as we go into this 2021 is you know more of it yeah and and i worked with the client this this past uh, year on the very thing and what we chose to do was literally to do anywhere from 20 to 40 second video snippets where all we wanted was hey here's roger hi i'm roger rickard and boom this is affecting me this way help kind of a thing just to send out those quick things to let them know that there's a variety of people out there that are being affected by what's happening and and listen just listen yeah. to what those what those causes are so you talked about using the vehicles of your chapters and i'm well versed in that because we've worked over the years with some different chapters that we've uh, helped try to train a little bit better to be stronger advocates uh do you have any ongoing strategy or plans of how you're going to keep engaging member advocates yeah you know it's a it's a it's a challenge in all of this and i think we're we're i'm i'm trying to understand the the best way to really go about it you know our 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 we're, we're tired you know we we've, we've all been through a really tough time and yeah. and i i think the i think the importance right now is to remember that we do have voices and that we 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 can make changes and that there is you know, I think for the first time in a while, there are lights at the end of the tunnel uh, for the for the travel industry, you know, increasing and improving the vaccine distribution and the rollout and, and other promising ideas. I think that can give us that gives us hope. And it's reminding people of that and and really, you know, and that is through videos and and, and different communications. But but trying to figure out how to best do it um, and, and get it out there. I, I am, I am still, we're still talking with our membership to really understand what, what it is that they need from us to yeah, help the pain. them, you know, and I, and I, I think it will be, you know, greater communication about, about the issues that are out there and, and how it impacts them you know, um, from, from what we think we'll say, and then, and then letting, uh, letting them, you know, make sure that they're hearing and hearing, they're able to communicate back to us on the challenge that they're facing. Do you think between the pandemic, uh, the economic crisis, or kind of the triumphant here, the economic crisis, and then the political environment that you're seeing new and different advocates new and different people participating in grassroots because of how personal it's been yeah no that's without a doubt we we've seen i've seen new people join in and 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 get active and it's it's fantastic yeah uh, it, it's fantastic and and it's just what you know what we want to make sure is that we're making the right arguments and and having the right conversations and and remembering that you know, we might have policy differences, but we're still all human beings and we're all still fighting towards the same goal, which is to have, you know, a better life. 
Well, you and I, you and I both know that over the years, sometimes it's been difficult in growing communities of advocates because people have this apathy. And now I think that we have an opportunity now that if we handle it correctly and we don't put too much burden on and we don't ask for too many things and we provide them with better tools and maybe some better education, that they're gonna be more willing to continue to engage because they've seen some reaction to it. Um, and, and with that, do you have anything down the pipe that you're planning from a standpoint of uh, not necessarily a, a, a whole series of educational things, but little ways that you can help educate them about either, how do you tell your story a little bit clearer, cleaner, shorter? Um, how do you communicate clearer? Because I think one of the frustrations that I saw with a number of people is, that if you were talking about something that was affecting, that was affected by the pandemic, you know, some people were getting those form letters from members of Congress mm -hmm. saying, yeah, we know the pandemic, but they're not even addressing the real issue. And we had people that were getting frustrated about, I got the form letter, but I kept trying to say to them, but you don't understand. They aggregate that. They add that into the equation. They know what, who's hurting, and what's going on, and they know it more because you you used your voice. Well, look, I think part of the area that we we did have success in 2020, and in in finding support for the industry and getting people to understand how badly the industry is being impacted. And so, I, I think if I, we'll continue to tout that success and say all of this did make a difference and it will make a difference as we go forward. And so if we continue to build on that and continue to keep pushing ahead, you know, look, is it, is it, you know, probably, well, you've got to like the, I think our biggest concern is you're always worried about not only are we getting form letters back, but sometimes you're sending form letters in and, and, and the, and the personalization of the message is, is, key to all of this, you know, I think kind of the biggest challenge that we've had, and this goes back to my background, I loved site visits. I loved pulling the members of Congress out there and seeing and meeting firsthand, you know, the, the, the people on the job. Because um, when I worked for them, because when I worked for them, I knew how impactful it was for me to go to every church bingo and and fish fry out there to meet and see them and uh, you know look you know we we use that and i use that going in and you know this past this and in march and august and like you'd call up a chief of staff and like remember when we were just in that hotel in phoenix and you remembered it like well it's about to close now yeah <laughs> because of what's going on um and so you know, I think rediscovering a way to do that, and that is likely going to be through the videos, uh, where you can, you know, look, you can record them and and show, not firsthand, but pretty darn close to firsthand, what is what is going on and and what has transpired. And I think pointing out, pointing out not just the economic impact, um, but there are a lot of other impacts that have that have come about as as this and, yeah the personal and I, impact the no. people and their jobs and what they've lost and the risk mm -hmm. and 
And is it going to affect their home? And is it going to affect the food that they have and the raising of their, their children? I mean, uh, these are serious, serious concerns. Yeah. Yeah. So there's, it's just that, and, and really just trying to focus in on, on that and making it as, as, you know, as personal and as, as you can, um, as personal as you can. Well, you know, it, it, it takes you back to the time when Ronald Reagan would, would sit there and say, well, I got a letter from Johnny the other day. That's right. And, but he would tell you the story and he would, you know, and, and we've come to find out that they picked a handful of letters that the president himself personally addressed and responded back to all the time. And as those stories evolved, you learned the impact that it had on him as, as, uh, as an elected official and the impact it had on the people that took the time and the care to reach out. So uh, I don't think those days are gone. I, I actually think that uh, this is gonna bring that closer to home as, as, as the heat of the election calms down a little bit more. I know, I, yeah, go ahead. I was gonna say, I absolutely think it'll even be more important now um, than, it, than it has been in the past. Yeah, I, I agree. Uh, I know in the past that you've held legislative action days or days on the Hill. Uh, you know, I, I've attended uh, one or two along the way. Um, are you still planning on trying to do one? And uh, are you planning it to hopefully be live? Because you usually did it, I think, in June. Uh, or are you looking at virtual or a hybrid? Yeah, I think um, I think the concerns with the the COVID is I, I thought this year would be tough to to do live. Um, I think we're looking at a virtual virtual conference this year, and and hopefully be able to get into a live one uh, next year. And then if you're doing the virtual, are you? Uh, setting up meetings for the members that they can do either Zoom calls or are you just using as a day of action in which they tweet, they write, they call, whatever, or both? So in previous years, when we've done the in-person, I also had a virtual going on at the same time um, for those that couldn't attend. I am, I'm, we haven't really laid out everything, but I'm leaning more towards the, you know, you, you have some Zoom meetings and, and, and um, you know, have some members of Congress address and talk about it on the larger Zoom calls. And then you try and do some individual Zoom meetings with the, the different offices. So right. that's, that's kind of how I'm leaning towards it. Um, but I haven't done it before, so I don't know how difficult well, it's going to be. And we don't know what's going to happen. I mean, in light of January 6th, we don't know what's going to happen in regards to even being able, once the pandemic is over, to move around as freely as one could originally uh, through the Capitol Hill system there and, and the House and Senate buildings. Uh, so I think that there's going to there's gonna be some fallout from that, yeah. of course, as well. Do you hold any state? days or do you or do you help train your chapters to do any state days where you, you know we we don't we don't it's um bandwidth yeah it's strictly bandwidth yeah no i get i understand it becomes more and more difficult um anything that we didn't talk about that you wanted to bring up maybe in some final thoughts or 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 
closing thoughts uh, with what you do and and why you do it and the love that you have and the passion you have for it? Well, I think, you know, I, I think January 6th is the day of all. It just, it's going, it, it, it greatly impacted me. I'm sure it greatly impacted everybody. Um, I, I, you know, as a look, as a history major and as someone who likes Viking TV shows, <laughs> you know, I was sitting there watching and I'm like, they're literally storming the castle. And, and I, I couldn't believe that Americans had become so frustrated and angry that that's what they felt like they had to do. And, and, and I just, you know, it, it really bothered me that, 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 that happened. And so yeah. I, I think as we kind of take a step back and, and, think about where we've been and, and how we can be better. Uh, I know I'm going to try and be better and, and listen to everybody and, and continue to look, we'll be a bipartisan organization. We always have been. Sure. Um, but I, I think the, the best thing for us to do is to really remember and, uh, that it's, that they're not just caricatures, you know, that, you know, they're, we're all people and, you know, you might not agree with their politics, but, you know, they're, they're still trying to do, you know, what they think is right. So, for those so I think for that's the biggest thing is that just trying to listen to other people. Um, not every opinion is valid, <laughs> you know, you know, I think I had, I had forgotten this. I'd heard it a long time ago from Patrick Moynihan and it was, you know, you know, everybody's got a right to their own opinion, but not to their own facts. And, right. and I, I think understanding that and remembering that, that, that there are a set of facts that you do have to operate by. Um, I still think this is the best. I'll get in trouble because I am a global organization. Um, but, but, you know, the representative nature of this government, I think is fantastic. And it's one that I, 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 I believe in and believe in this government. And I, I feel good today that we will emerge from this. This is just a moment in time. It's not the beginning of something. It's not the end of something. It's just a moment in time where we will listen and we will work together and we will come out better and stronger for it. Shane, I couldn't agree with you more. It, uh, uh, for those of us that have had the wonderful experience of being able to walk around those halls, to be able to do business in a representative government where we have a right to our voice and to our say and to our opinions uh, and our positions, um, it, it deeply affected me as well. And I think, it, I think to the core, the longer it goes, I think the more people will feel the same way. Uh, as the sting of the edge of it kind of wears off. And I think they'll view it, view it the same way. And that's one of the reasons knowing you, knowing the caliber of who you are and the work that you do on behalf of GBTA. Uh, great conversation today. I thank you very much. And that's kind of a wrap of the interview part of uh, today's show. You did a great job. Glad to have you on, Shane. Thank you very much. And so now it's time for a brief advocacy engagement tip. And today's tip is grassroots development versus 
crisis management. You know, conducting a grassroots advocacy campaign is not the same as managing a crisis. It is too late to begin training the firemen when the fire is already at the door. So build your plan, begin the campaign well in advance of any crisis, create those relationships. Successful advocacy campaigns are most often time sensitive. So don't wait till the last minute to begin finding and training your advocates. So as we wrap up, just a couple of quick notes here at the end of the episode. If you're interested in being a guest on uh, my show, please go to voicesandadvocacy.com and click on the contact us to let us know your interest and why we should have you on the show. We'd love to have you. We want to learn more from you. I'd love to have you contribute your thoughts because as Shane can attest to, uh, people like himself are much wiser than I am when it comes to this business. And we all want to learn from them. So in upcoming episodes, you'll be treated to great interviews from people that know advocacy, whether those are leaders in the world of politics, associations, or nonprofit causes. I'm sure you will enjoy these interviews. So if you have a question or two that you would like me to address here on a podcast, send me an email to Roger, that's R-O-G-E-R, at voicesinadvocacy.com. If you like today's uh, podcast, head over to where you find your podcasts and subscribe to Voices in Advocacy podcast today. Another big thank you to Shane Downey of GBTA, Global Business Travel Association, for being on the show today. We at Voices in Advocacy work with organizations to inspire, educate, engage, and activate your supporters by turning them into effective, influential advocates. Well, that's it for today's episode of Voices in Advocacy. Remember, you have the power to be an effective, influential advocate. Now go out and make it a better world. We hope you enjoyed today's Voices and Advocacy podcast and look forward to you joining us again next week. To learn more about Voices and Advocacy, go to our website, voicesinadvocacy.com.